church, would you stand to your feet this morning? God is good, amen? Amen. He is our rescuer, and we are going to worship him today with all of our mind, all of our heart, and all of our strength. Let's worship him. He is worthy. Well, he's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captain. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the one who walked away. And there is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. Well, he's our
go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all the many blessings you bestowed upon us, Lord. In this week of Thanksgiving, Lord, we are so much that we are thankful for. The death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you've given us. And Father, we want to show our thanksgiving to you with our tithes and offerings this morning, Lord. Please take these and use them for your kingdom, Father. And Father, as we uh, uh, move through the service, Lord, we pray that you would speak through Pastor Rob, Lord. It would be the Holy Spirit speaking through him. Father, prepare our hearts and our minds for the message that you have for each one of us. And let us be men and women as we leave this building, Lord. Let us be able to take your word and let people be able to see your love shining through us in everything we say and everything we do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. He is our living hope this morning. Amen, church. Amen. It is our uh, worship together today, a family worship service. So our kids are with us this morning, so they're not going to children's church. But I want to invite, as we think through and think about God's transformational work in the life of believers, in the life of his church we're going to hear from one of our own, um, our own members. He's a new small group leader, um, and uh, their, their small group is doing great, great things. Community group is doing great, great things. And I want to introduce you to Mr. Josh Wells. Come, come on up, Josh. Let's give him a warm welcome for him this morning. He's going to give you a testimony of God's faithfulness in his life. Go ahead, Josh. I'm giving you the floor, man. Thank you, Rob. Good morning. Uh, I've known Rob for, what, 17 years now, 17 years? He was a freshman on the OBU basketball team when I was a senior, and uh, I apologize if I hazed you. I don't remember if I did or not, Um, uh, but uh, I'm glad to be here today. Jill and I, my wife, have been members at Northwest for 15 years um, we have four children, Gwyneth, Cademan, Layton, and, and little Debbie, and uh, yeah, we're grateful to be at Northwest, and I'm just going to give you a quick testimony um, about the power of God's transformation in my life and what it means to be a believer, what it means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, in Genesis 2.18, after uh, God creates the heavens and the earth. Uh, he creates mankind. And in Genesis 2.18, he looks at the man and says, it is not good for man to be alone. And uh, my story is the story of a man who uh, has lived alone for most of my life. Now, I've always had people around me. I had a good, loving family growing up. My dad's a pastor here in Oklahoma City at Western Hills Church, and he's been there for 37 years. Um, I've got seven brothers and sisters. Um, and yeah, I have a loving wife and four kids, but I always felt like I was alone. I'm sure some psychoanalyst could get into my head and tell me exactly why I felt that way, but it was how I felt from a very early age. When I was five or six, I remember feeling like I was alone, that I couldn't trust anybody. And, uh, and I grew up that way. And uh, that drove me to be a very performance-oriented person. Um, I wanted to please people very much. Um, 
please my parents, please my teachers, please my professors, please my coaches, and I worked really hard at that. And uh, for the most part, I did. I was a good student. I uh, did well in college. Uh, was a very average basketball player, but managed to get my school paid for playing basketball, so that was nice. Um, went to law school, did very well at law school. Uh, got the job I wanted right out of law school as a securities fraud lawyer, doing exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, as I got into that career, I ended up being pretty good at it. Uh, and I got better at it. Uh, eventually, I was making the kind of money I wanted to make, I imagined I would make as a lawyer. Uh, People don't tell you that lawyers don't really make that much money. You think, man, lawyers are all wealthy. No, they don't make a lot of money. But eventually I got to where I was making a good living practicing law and, and things were going well from the outside, but I was alone. And uh, it got to the point where I did not feel like I could please people anymore. Um, I didn't feel like I could be a good husband. I knew I was not a good husband. I didn't feel like I was a good employee. I knew I wasn't a good employee. I didn't feel like I was a good father. Um, I did not feel like I was worthy in any area of my life. And that led uh, me to uh, experiencing extreme anxiety and depression. And uh, to the point where I was almost non-functional at times. Um, I thought a change of careers would help me, so I changed careers and went to work in the ministry as a, a fundraiser, development director for a ministry. That helped for a time, uh, definitely relieved some of that stress and anxiety, but, but then it came back again. Um, when the oil crash happened, it affected a lot of our donors at that ministry, and, uh, which means that my performance looked worse, and, and I couldn't please all the people I felt like I needed to please, and so that anxiety and depression came back. And uh, so I went to the doctor, and I went to a psychologist, and I went to counselors, and and uh, listened to their advice, and they prescribed medication, and none of that worked, and uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety stuff, and it just didn't work for me. And uh, during this whole time, I kept begging God to change me. Tell me what was wrong. Why do I feel this way? What is going on in my life? Um, and I could never, I never got a good answer. And uh, so eventually I found something that did work better for me in terms of handling my depression and anxiety than, uh, than anything else I had found, and that was drinking. And so I drank uh, to feel better. Uh, I wouldn't feel better, I just wouldn't feel anything. And I was in a place where I did not want to live anymore. Uh, but I wanted to take care of my family, I wanted to take care of my wife, so I didn't want to end my life permanently, but uh, alcohol allowed me to end it temporarily. It would allow me to uh, sit in my little room and not have to experience my life. Um, eventually, it took over my life. And uh, I started going to AA, and that helped a little bit, but it wasn't a permanent solution. Uh, I went to rehab. Uh, that was all right. It wasn't a permanent solution. I tried all kinds of different things, and the end result was that my life was a wreck. Uh, I was separated from my wife. Uh, really, my career was in tatters. Uh, I had nothing, and, uh, and I was alone. And I remember at one of the lowest points in my life, sitting there in my dad's living room and telling him, that I was alone 
and asking him why I never, I could never feel the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Like, why didn't God's power flow through me like I read about with these saints in the Bible? Why couldn't I overcome these emotional issues uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit? Why wasn't I seeing that power in my life? And my dad said to me uh, something that changed my life. He said, Josh, as long as you have secrets, you will never experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, at the time, I thought, I don't have any secrets anymore. I, I mean, if any of you know about 12-step programs, I'd confess pretty much everything that I could think of. Like, I, I, I literally confessed everything I could think of. Uh, there was nothing uh, that I was ashamed of. Um, and he said, well, there are things you don't talk about. You won't tell me about how you feel today. Uh, you won't tell me how you felt yesterday. Were you angry yesterday? Uh, how's your relationship with your wife? You won't tell anybody those things. You keep your day-to-day -day life bottled up inside. And those are your secrets. Your secrets are how you really feel, what's really going, inside, what's really going on inside your heart and your mind. And he was right. And I never realized it before. So... I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick about five or six guys that I really trust, and I'm going to ask them to be a part of my life. And um, I'm going to first ask them if they want to be a part of my life. That's important. Uh, and they did. And I invited them to be a part of my life on a day-to-day -day basis. And on a day-to-day -day basis, I'd communicate with these gentlemen and just tell them what was going on in my life. And they weren't there to give advice. Sometimes they had advice, mostly not. Mostly they just let me know that I wasn't alone. They acted like the body of Christ. And for the first time in my life, I experienced what it meant to feel loved by Jesus Christ. Um, the body of Christ loved me through those six guys in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I was no longer alone for the first time in 40 years of life. Um, that was almost two years ago now. Since then, I have continued to pursue discipleship relationships with the body of Christ. And what I've discovered is as a Christian, it means that, that means I'm a follower of Christ. I cannot be a Christian unless I do the things that Christ did. One of the things that Christ did was he had discipleship relationships with a group of individuals. And so my free time, if you want to know what I do in my free time, is I develop relationships with other believers. Um, for their benefit and for my benefit, I disciple guys, guys disciple me. And that is the most important thing that I do in my life. My job's not the most important thing I do. Uh, the most important thing I do is engaging in discipleship relationships with other believers because that is how uh, the power of the Holy Spirit manifests itself in my life. Uh, I do not suffer from anxiety today. I do not suffer from depression. Uh, I have no desire to drink. I mean, I haven't for uh, since that day. Uh, the Holy Spirit is totally changed me, but I know it is because of that I am doing what Christ commanded us to do. 
I'm engaging in these discipleship relationships. And so one of those important discipleship relationships in my life has become our community group, which has been going on for a few months now. And we have a group of five or six families. We meet every Sunday. And uh, that's what we do. We get together and we apply the scripture to our lives in a very real and vulnerable way. Uh, we pray for each other. We talk about those things that we may not want to talk about. Uh, we protect each other in that group and we serve each other in that group. And uh, again, it is, it is a life-changing thing for me to be a part of. Uh, I have a men's group I meet with. Uh, David Murphy meets with me and with those guys every Thursday morning. And again, it's a life-changing thing. I meet with a guy named Steve Trice. Uh, every week, he disciples me. Steve is a disciple of Herman Reese. So Herman Reese is my great-grand, or is my grandfather in the faith. Um, but I, and then every day of the week, I'm engaged with somebody in a discipleship relationship uh, because Christ has called me to do what he did. And that is how I'm no longer alone. So, my encouragement for you is you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. Uh, the scripture gives us very clear instruction on what it means to follow Jesus. We need to do what Jesus did. And part of what he did was engage in discipleship relationships. And uh, if you are not engaged in discipleship relationship, if you are constantly failing, if you have a sin issue that is constantly controlling you, that you are failing in, I encourage you, to get involved in discipleship relationships. You can come to our community group or any of the other community groups. You can call me. My cell phone number is 405-788-6308. Like if you need help with uh, addiction issues or anything else, call or text me and I'll be more than happy to start meeting with you as well because that is the most important thing I do. Uh, I, don't, I no longer really care about my career aside from the fact that it provides for my family. I, I'm no longer trying to meet other people's expectations. I'm just following the Lord. And the Lord has totally changed how I feel about life, how I feel about my family, how I feel about my relationship with my wife and other people. He's totally transformed that into somebody who loves people, who cares about people more than himself, and uh, who's courageous instead of fearful, uh, who's strong instead of weak, uh, who's humble instead of arrogant. He has totally changed all those things in my life. Uh, through relationships in the body of Christ. So that's my testimony of transformation. And I also want to say my wife can't be here because she's ill, but it's her birthday. So happy birthday to Jill. It's crazy. I have this picture of us from when we were in college, when we met, and people, clients will come into my office and look at it and look at that picture and say, who's this? And I'm like, wow, that's pretty insulting because that's me. <laughs> She looks about the same, though. I, I do not. But uh, happy birthday, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share today. Amen. Amen. Josh, can we just pray for you, man? I, I want to pray for you. What a testimony of God's faithfulness to this man. Father, we thank you for Josh, and Lord, we thank you for his testimony that he brings to the church this morning to just bring encouragement. Uh, Father, to all of us as the body of Christ, Lord, we thank you as you protect this man and you grow this man. Father, we just pray that your spirit would just fill him, Father, to do your work your way. Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ here at Northwest and the work that you're doing in the hearts of people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 What a testimony. Let's, let's give it up for the Lord again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. For he is good.
wanted you to hear that story we, um, when we were before the pandemic and all the things that went on. We had a men's breakfast and uh, different men would share their testimonies. And uh, what a powerful testimony in the life of um, a man willing to humble himself to say no more secrets. I need people in my life to share my life with. We're going to hear a story about God's transformation in the life of Saul. First of all, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great time with your family. We had a meeting with Governor Stitt this week. And uh, one of the things he said was Thursday, December 3rd, he wanted all the churches in Oklahoma to set aside that day as a day of prayer and fasting. As you know, that the virus is uh, continuing to grow. The number of cases are continuing to grow. Our hospitals are becoming full. And he wanted to set aside Thursday as a day of which the church in Oklahoma prays and fasts for God to work in the life of people. Um, He wanted us to specifically pray for our medical workers that are working um, very diligently. We have a lot of medical workers and medical teams uh, within our church, and we need to pray for those medical workers. If we could just recognize those medical workers this morning, I would like to do that because they have been working extremely hard, uh, extremely difficult circumstances and will continue to do so for the next few weeks at least. But if we could recognize our, our medical workers and give them a round of applause this morning. But this morning we're going to see in Acts chapter 9 God's transformation The reality is, is that when we encounter Jesus, as Josh was talking about, he's encountering the physical body of Christ, the the person of Christ through his church, the people of God, our lives are changed. We are transformed. Last week, we saw the Spirit uh, sending the body of Christ, sending Philip to this Ethiopian. He sends the church to the people who are in need. Maybe they're in need of understanding the word. Maybe they're in need of breaking their addiction. But God sends through the spirit of the living God that lives inside of his people, his church, to others. And God sends Philip to the chariot as the Ethiopian is returning home to share with him the good news message about Jesus Christ. The great picture of us, the church, being sent for a mission, for a purpose. And this morning it is another encounter, this time The Lord meets himself with a man with a lot of head knowledge, a lot of knowledge of the word. He has a lot of knowledge of the traditions. He has a lot of knowledge of God. He's been discipled. He's been trained in the faith. He, He knows the law. 
and yet he is far from God. And as a result of this story, he does a 180 in his life in the transformation of a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. This morning we look at spirit-filled transformation. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read that verse together. It's on the screen behind us. If you don't have your Bible with you, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belongings to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has been sent, has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on the name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we hear your word this morning, as we hear the preaching of your word, that our lives would, Father, intake this story from the testimony we heard this morning of Josh in our midst, in our church, to the testimony we hear of Saul. May our hearts be transformed by the power of your spirit. May we encounter Christ. And our lives be changed. Father, convict us where we need conviction. Show us the way. Show us the truth. Give our hearts encouragement this morning as we read from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted you to hear that testimony from Josh Wells this morning. Because a transformed life only comes through the power of God. 
As you heard him say, he tried this, he tried that. He tried this, he tried that. But God's plan of redemption and restoration through Christ is seen in people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our God takes people that are without hope, destined for darkness, and transforms their life. The Lord takes people who are walking down a path of destruction and encountering Jesus and are transformed into new creations for the glory of God. Probably the most famous transformation we have in the New Testament is Saul to Paul, a man against God who was then sold out for God. It's truly a testimony of the power of God in one person's life. It's all God's work. Maybe this morning you're sitting there thinking, maybe I need to be transformed. And God wants to do a great work in and through you. Look at the text of scripture this morning. But Saul, verse one, but Saul still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the May, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise, enter the city. You will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, though his eyes were opened. He saw nothing. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is our first point this morning in this section of the text. It says this, seeing Christ for who he is changes the direction of one's life. Seeing Christ for who he is Changes the direction of one's life. You see, Saul had an opinion about Jesus. He thought he knew who Jesus was. So you see, Saul in Acts chapter 7 is, is the guy who approves the stoning of Stephen. Who proclaims Jesus as Lord This is the same Saul who dragged Christians out of their homes from their community groups and throws them into prison. And now he's on a crusade to shut down the movement of the church traveling to Damascus. 
One of the scariest things I think I see in this passage is that Saul knows the scriptures. He's taught by the top biblical scholars. He even has a desire to obey God. He is zealous for good works. And yet he finds himself against God and against Christ. He's breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He's even traveling to modern day Syria from Jerusalem to Damascus to hunt these Christians down. A watchdog of Judaism making sure God's word is protected from those Christians who believe in the resurrected Christ. It seems on the outside his life is devoted to God and his word and yet he is against God completely. You see, God wants to show a new creation story here in the text. Over and over, we see this narrative of creation as God is explaining what he's doing in the lives of people by making them a new creation. We see this here in the text by the words in which Luke uses to describe the story of God creating something new, making a new creation. It begins with the anti-creation narrative of Saul in which he is breathing threats and murder. What does God do in the creation narrative? He breathes life into Adam. Saul breathes death. Saul goes to the high priest. He asks for men and women to be bound and God creates men and women and unleashes them into his creation. He says, multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. Then a light from heaven flashes and it's accompanied by a voice. Just as in Genesis chapter one, a voice from heaven says, let there be Light. And Saul falls to the ground in which man was created from as a sign of his submission, in which God can recreate a new man. Amen? A new creation created in the likeness of God to reflect the image of God himself. This is what God does in the life of his people. He makes them new. He creates them new. He gives them a new heart, a new mind, a new soul. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But Saul is blinded still. Even in this newness, God is recreating Saul. He's, He's humbling Saul to the ground in which he can build him back up. Saul is blinded. 
because of he has never seen truly who Jesus is. Second Corinthians 4, 3 tells us about being blinded to who Jesus is, blinded to this gospel. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So as he goes into Damascus, he is blinded because he has never seen Christ for who he is. The power and the presence of Christ himself was too much for his eyes. It was too much for him to counter but Jesus shows himself to him and alters the direction and the path of his life. You see, in repentance, our response to who Christ truly is, our response is repentance. The path of one's life goes in a different direction. And God leads him to this place by revealing himself to him. Maybe the Lord is revealing himself to you this morning through the power of this testimony, through the power of his word, who this Jesus is, and he wants to change the direction of your life. Maybe you're weighted down by the secrets that you hold and when you come to face to face with the risen King Jesus and you humble yourself, Christ stands at the door and he welcomes you in. Verse 10. Now the, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am. Good that's a good response to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has been in vision. A man named Ananias. Come in, lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles with kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the the sake of my name. This is our second point this morning. It says this, God saves sinners to reflect his glory. God saves sinners to reflect his glory. In this section, we're introduced to a new character. His name is Ananias. He is told to go to a house where Saul is and lay hands on him. Now, Ananias knows who Saul is, obviously, and he knows what Saul is about. He knows that 
Saul has come to probably take Ananias, who is one of the disciples, and to either kill him or put him into prison. And the Lord is asking Ananias to go to this man, not wait for him to come to him, but go to him. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know who this guy is, Lord? Do you know who he is? What would you do if you were Ananias? Somebody's trying to kill you. And the Lord says, go to them. You see, the Lord is telling us something here in this story. It's a beautiful picture of what he wants to do in the life of people. He saves sinners. Not just people who live in a house with a nice picket fence or people who have a dog, people who have grown up in church their whole life. No, he takes people who are against Christ, who are passionate about their own selfish desires, who we would consider as people who are unsavable. And he creates a new person, a new creation in order to reflect his glory, in order to show his might, in order to show his nature and character through them, his transformational work of the gospel. Saul's life will be one that reflects the glory of God. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Saul's life will be one that reflects the glory of God as one who used to suppress the church now he breathes life into the church he writes 13 letters of the new testament he will plant churches across the globe he will be a witness to christ to the gentiles to kings and to the children of israel his name will be changed from saul to paul because his life has been changed. The Lord doesn't just save you so that you can go to heaven. He saves you so that you can reflect his glory upon this earth and be with him for all eternity. Look at the second part of the promise here to Saul. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see, a lot of people want to sign up to be an American Christian. Not going to lie. Let me make sure the coffee is hot. The kids have a playground area, the youth group is entertaining, and the pastor has some funny jokes, and I am in, right? Let's sign up for that, that type of church. We want to be that kind of Christian. 
Lord, bless my life. Yet in scripture, we see a life that God uses is often accompanied with suffering. And we see that Paul, even er. We see Ananias even understands that when Paul, Saul comes to faith in Christ, he will be used by God to do mighty and glorious things for the name of God, but he will also suffer. I, I, I think about this often. Jesus suffered. Why do we think as the body of Christ we will not suffer for the glory of God? Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though through many a sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Even from the beginning, Christ is telling Paul, through Ananias that when you come to Christ it's not about you it's about him and even in the midst of all of this pain and suffering this is why Paul says in Philippians I can do all things through him who gives me strength he's talking about the suffering that he endures as a believer in Christ. Ananias is told two things about Saul's life. He will be a chosen instrument and he will suffer for it. Those two go hand in hand. I mean, Rob, why would... God wants his people to suffer. Why, why would he allow his people to suffer? Especially those who are working for him. The Bible tells us because God does not waste our suffering. He is refining us, producing in us a Christ-like steadfastness of faith. God is shaping and molding to reflect the glory of God. I, I, I hope you understand that this is a wake-up call for many of us in this room. And listening online. Thanks for joining us online, by the way. But God is really not concerned about the size of our bank account. 
He's not concerned about how many Instagram followers we have. He's more concerned about how we treat our wife, how we love our wives, love our husbands, how we confess our secret sins. And we seek to help those in need. He's more concerned about our fake face and our rotting inside. You see, God wants to make us new creations. He doesn't want us to just give us some good truths to live by. He wants to make you look like Christ, to reflect the image of God himself. You say, Rob, how does he do that? How, how, how does he do that? Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, he calls him brother. Brother Saul. I think it's so interesting. God could have met. God could have said, I'm going to meet Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus could have said, I'm going to meet Saul on the road to Damascus. I'm going to talk to Saul. I'm, I'm going to be the one that explains the message of the gospel to Saul. I'm going to be the one that disciples Saul. I'm going to be the one that restores him back into repentance. And then I'm going to send him out all across the world. And he's going to be my messenger to the Gentiles. He's going to do all these things for my name. But he doesn't, does he? He takes a disciple. Somebody, a part of the church. He says, I'm gonna use you to influence Saul. Where was I? All right, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. This is our third point this morning was this. The Lord empowers his disciples through the filling of the Spirit. How does he want to transform me? He wants to do that through the filling of the Spirit. It's an incredible experience for sure. The blind man Saul hearing Ananias speak about Christ and a brother in Christ laying his hands on another brother. All of these things are happening. What is Saul doing? He's fasting and he's praying. God is sending a James 5 righteous man who lays his hands upon him. 
And we see this over and over again, this laying on of hands throughout the book of the Acts as the leaders in the church are affirming the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit at Pentecost upon new groups of people. And it's being affirmed here. The Lord is affirming Christ's salvation upon Saul himself. It's both the church and to Saul that he is one of theirs. And what does he do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Does it look like you're just spouting off a bunch of gibberish? Does it look like you're you know, doing, dancing around the aisles, waving banners? What does that look like? Well, it looks like what Paul does next. The Holy Spirit fills Saul to do what? To do work for the kingdom of God. Look at the end of verse 19. And taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is Is not this the man who made wreak havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What does God do? When he fills his people, his church with the Holy Spirit, they do work for the glory of God. They proclaim Christ. They disciple. They see people who are in addiction and they lead them back to Jesus and back to the word. The hands and feet is the body of Christ, the filling of God's people. You see, God sends his disciples as ambassadors for Christ with the message of reconciliation. Ananias, he's probably one of my favorite characters in this book. He's the dude who goes to Saul as a representative for Christ and brings him back into the fold. He's the guy the Lord calls upon not only to bring healing to Saul and the scales fall off his eyes, but then to baptize him. There's nothing like being a tool in the workshop of the Lord. But God's story of transformation is only beginning with this man. God will use this one man who he transforms to impact the lives of billions and billions of people. As they will read his letters, hundreds of churches will be planted as a result of God's transformational work. There's a lot of stories about God's transformation in the lives of people. John Newton is one of the great stories of transformation. He was a captain of slave ships during the slave trade. He treated the humans as if they were animals. He was known for being a wicked and destitute man that lived for himself. One time John flew over the boat 
and the, the crew on the boat didn't even want to save him. So instead of throwing him a life raft or instead of throwing him a boat, they threw him a harpoon because they disliked him so much. He was such a mean man. But the Lord got a hold of his life, transformed his life, and he would be the man who would write amazing grace. Here's the words to that song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Though many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortar life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. The worship team is going to come up this morning and we're gonna have time to reflect upon God's word in our own hearts, in our own minds, so if you stand with me, we're going to worship. We're going to respond in worship to the word of God. You might be here this morning and you might be saying, I'm, my present condition. I don't want to worry about all the past, all the things, all the... The things, my present condition is that I'm a sinner before an almighty God. And you might be saying to yourself, I know that I cannot save myself from the eternal punishment for my sins, the wrath of God in hell. If you're in that person this morning my present condition is I am a sinner before God you need to understand that God loved you in your present condition that he wants to save you and fill you with the spirit of the living God. 
And he doesn't just say that, but he demonstrated his love for you. Because while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that payment for sin opens the door for any person. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. To receive the blessed assurance that Jesus is with me. That I am a child of the one true king. You may be living in, a, in addiction. may have secret sins and you need someone to pray over you. It's time to break through. To live a life that is complete. Not alone, with other brothers and sisters who want to help you through. Josh is going to be in the back. I'm going to be in the back. Chris is going to be in the back. If you need somebody to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. Love to lay our hands on you and pray for you. Let's respond in worship. Father God, we thank you for this morning, we know that there are people here that are struggling. We know that there are people who are in desperate need. And Father, we ask that they would have the courage to stand and not go at it alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
you for this time that we've had today, God. And Lord, we just pray that we would, uh, Lord, we know that uh, the invitation to pray and to seek your face does not end at this time, Lord, but it continues on beyond this gathering. And Lord, as you uh, prompt our hearts to reach out to one another, to a pastor or to a community group leader, Lord, I pray that we would uh, just be obedient to your prompting, Lord, and to just uh, continue to follow up on this word that you've spoken to us today, God. Thank you for this rich, rich word, God, that you've spoken to us today through your scripture. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's give God glory. Amen. Let's praise God. Amen. You guys can have a quick seat, and uh, what a good word of transformation, man, and I pray that we live that out in our lives uh, for the hope of Christ, for those in your neighborhood, in your marketplace, in your schools that have yet to experience the transforming power of the gospel. Well, I have the opportunity to share with you guys a testimony of what God's doing in my life, in our family's life, and so... uh, I want to share with you some things that the Lord is preparing my heart and my family for that's coming up pretty quick. So a few months ago, a church contacted me to consider leading uh, that church as the lead pastor, and uh, we have accepted that call to go and view of a call to another church. Uh, We'll be going uh, December 6th to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church uh, as the lead pastor, Uh, to preach in view of a call. And then potentially, if the Lord affirms that and the church votes for that, uh, we'll be having our last Sunday here, December 13th. Uh, And I'll be able to preach that Sunday and share a little bit more about our heart for you guys uh, if the church affirms that. Uh, But the Lord has been on a journey with me in my life for a couple years preparing my heart as a lead pastor, and many of you, I know Rob and I have been talking through this, uh, have been affirming that, and uh, my heart is to be able to sit down with each of you uh, and to share this journey and to share this story with those uh, who don't know. Uh, and uh, so for us, it's a, it's a, a mixed transition. It's, it's, a, it's a hard time because of our love, and our deep passion for you as a family, as a body of Christ, uh, but also a very exciting time as the Lord opens an opportunity for me to lead uh, at Cherokee Hills in Oklahoma City. And so we know that the Lord is faithful and he's gracious. The Lord has presented, there's been other opportunities over the last several years to move all over the world. And each of those, the Lord has closed those doors in my heart uh, and I'm excited to be able to still be in Oklahoma City, to still be able to be in deep, meaningful relationships with those that we've been able to foster over 12 years uh, here. And, uh, but uh, we're excited about this transition, and I know our, I shared that with our staff. And if you'll just be praying for us and our family as we shared this with our children this week. Uh, and so we'd appreciate your prayers. Uh, this morning... Uh, the, the search team and our staff had been prayerful about how to announce this. It's a little uh, different to announce it before you go. But I really wanted you guys to know uh, ahead of time 
uh, because we didn't want to uh, just share that. We just wanted to share as a family. And so because the nature of the proximity of the churches, it's in Oklahoma City, and the nature of social media, uh, we felt that it would be better uh, to communicate that ahead of time. Uh, and we're going to trust the Lord with that. And if the church doesn't affirm that and we don't go, guess what? You're stuck with me for a long, long time because I am not going through this again. So I hope that clap wasn't a clap of affirmation for me not to go. But uh, I do know the Lord is leading me to, uh, into a new position as a lead pastor one day. Uh, and so, but I wanted to share with you guys. And so Rob is going to close us out. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about those details. If you didn't hear some of the transitional details, we'll email that out. This man means a lot to this church. This body means a lot to me. I've seen uh, him grow a lot in my time that I've been here. and I'm just so proud. I think we as a church should be really excited for the Goalie family and just so proud that The Lord is raising up men and women of God to be sent out for his glory. That's what we want to be about. And uh, it's just really a special moment to, you've been here a long time, brother. Through some good times and And some transitional times. Yeah, you've endured a lot. Amen. Amen. And I look forward to, Lord willing, if the Lord affirms this after the six, Rob has given me the opportunity to preach the gospel, which I'll do, but also cast vision and share with you guys uh, the things I see that I'm excited for with Northwest. And it's been a a joy to build a, and I'll say this uh, on the 13th, to build a work with an incredible team. You have an incredible pastor. So. Let me pray for you guys. If you guys I'm not want done. To... Hold on. But we're, we're sending you. I know. Oh. An incredible, that was a comma. A dramatic, emotional I thought you were comma. just done. I thought you were just done, man. But the Lord has used you in a particular time in my life to bring restoration, encouragement on the face of burnout, uh, to, get, uh, to reignite my passion for his work. And you have played an integral uh, role in uh, preparing me for the pastorate. So thank Amen. you. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Now you, period. If the Goli, yeah. If the Goli family come down here, we're going to send you guys off. It's, I know it's going to be a really difficult week this week as you prepare. And uh, just know this, when we went in view of a call here, me and Jordan passed out after our 3,000 meetings with everyone. So I know it's going to be a, a big week. And uh, you guys, will you join me in, in praying for Chris and his whole family this week? As it is difficult to walk into a new place with new people. And uh, everybody wants to know you. Uh, and you're expected to to be on for a long time. But just pray that Chris brings the gospel message as he does and uh, just pray for their family this week. Father, we thank you for this great family and we thank you for um, this week as they prepare for um, this step that you have taken them on, this journey. 
And Lord, we, we thank you for um, transformation of many lives here at Northwest through the spirit living inside of this man and his family. Lord, we ask that as, as they prepare for this time, that you would give them peace and joy, that you would bring about um, courage and boldness that can only be from your spirit. Lord, allow them to have grace for new people, grace, and Father, help them to um, have excitement and joy for the new, new place that you have for them. Lord, we thank you and praise you for you are good and your mercies endure forever. We thank you for our congregation. And Father, we just pray for each and every person here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You are sent. Have a blessed day.